you're listening to the We Speak Common Podcast Network. For more information and to support the show, head to wespeakcommon.com. This week, I'm joined by creative writer Alex from Describe to talk about what it takes to paint an image in your players' imaginations. Welcome to We Speak Common. Uh, welcome to another episode of the D&D podcast for everyone, because here we speak common. This is the show brought to you in partnership with the Dice Dungeon, your one-stop shop for all things Dungeons and Dragons. We're talking dice, dice rolling trays, the books you need to play the game, and now the brand new D&D travel bag of hoarding, which I don't I don't want to I don't want to boost my ego, but I did help name. So go and check out this amazing and I, I, I say it not lightly i do have one of these uh travel bag if you're moving your books around or your your minis or your dice you're going to different houses to play DD, this is the thing for you go and check it out there's a link to the description in the description for dice dungeon you can click that head over have a little look around fill your basket up and if you're going to buy it use the code we speak common at checkout you get 10 percent off your entire order we are also brought to you in partnership with Describe, spelled D-S-C-R-Y-B. Describe is uh, the place to go if you're not very good at the thing we're going to talk about today, which, believe it or not, is describing things. If you want to paint vivid images in your players' minds, or maybe as a player you want to sound really cool when you cast that spell, they've got you covered. There's over 500 scenes that you can look at for free, over 7,000 and growing that you can look at if you subscribe. And if you follow the link below and use the code COMMON, you get 10% off every single month of your subscription for the first two years you're subscribed. And of course, with both those codes, you are supporting the network. Uh, we will, at some point during this episode, talk more about our wonderful partners. But right now, for the first time, and hopefully not the last, I would like to welcome Mr. Alex Gray to the show. Hello. Hi. How are you, my friend? How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, no worries. I, d- I don't want to put the, um, the fear of God into you or the pressure on, but you are here as a quote-unquote specialist. So, uh, yeah, and actually, you know, that's the first time I've ever called anyone that. So you take that as an honour. Thank you. Um, before we dive into the topic, which obviously is, is in the title of the episode, everyone knows what we're talking about today. Tell me a bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? And how long have you been playing D&D for? So I um, am a creative writer. I currently freelance. Um, I specialise in descriptive text. Um, I've been writing for Describe since about September. Um, in that time, uh, I think I'm, I'm getting close to 500 published scenes, um, which is fantastic. Um, I've also started to write adventures. Um, I've got one coming out um, next month um, and looking to expand into that. Um, I've been playing D&D for about four years. Um, and quickly discovered that I really love DMing, really love it. I didn't start out doing DMing, um, but I tried it fairly soon after starting, and I loved it. And then I've just been just a sponge for all the wonderful creators and in you know people like um, Mike Shea and Matt Cobill, and just really just kind of absorb all I can and learn everything and. Um, and yeah, that's that's been a big part of my my journey, and I've enjoyed it a lot. 
Yeah, man. I there's I think there's like two types of people. There's those people who just enjoy D and D in general and like will happily DM, happily play, and then there's the people that are like, ah, oh, okay, this is the very specific thing of of Dungeons and Dragons that I like. And I always thought I was part of the first group. I was like, oh yeah, I like playing, I like DMing. And then I have I mean, I've been DMing for nearly a decade now. So it's been a long old time and I've been a player along that and I think I'm definitely more a dm than a player like i just like telling stories and i feel as a player i just don't get i don't get my kick as much as i do as a dm watching other people but i mean that's kind of like that's kind of me i was talking to um sam who uh listeners will know very well he's been on the show quite a lot recently off air about uh how a lot of the things we do in our lives feed into how we the things we're good at in in D so ray is uh, very technical minded he's very good at making encounters and things um sam is is very good at absorbing all these ideas and then like just putting them out there which he's really he basically does for me all the time and where i'm a i mean i work as a producer now i mean i'm a presenter as well but i work as a producer mostly and i realized that that is dming it's exactly the same like if you switch the word player and presenter my job as a producer and a dm is like the same thing and it's so weird that all these little skills and things from your life come into it but uh, no. I, I i i can imagine you are you are flexing like the same muscles with writing as you are in in DMing. I mean, quite a lot of the time. I mean, it, I think it's brilliant. Um, I really enjoy improvising stuff. Um, yeah, because I, I I'm very much of the lazy DM school of the uh, thought where you get your your fundamentals in place and then you can kind of you can react to things, but you you've not got such a rigid structure. Mm. Um, that you, you're stuck, basically. Yeah, I, I love planning. And whenever I run a, a module, I basically rewrite it. Um, I've, I've said this before. Like I, I'll read a, a module once without taking any notes, just read through it. Then I'll reread it. And as I read it, I'll take notes. And then I'll go and rewrite my notes into a, my version of the module, which I then run from. And that's where I adapt and change things and alter the story and put our own feeds into it. And that's how I now have our version of the Forgotten Realms, which is very different from uh published version because campaigns and things have happened um and so all of that work like it's very not lazy dm it's very much like okay i'm gonna sit down i'm gonna write i'm gonna work out i'm gonna plan every like not plan the story or like what's gonna happen but plan the world and do all of that so i i love doing that and putting that backbone in but now that that's there and part of the thing scares me of going to a new setting it's like that's all there now so i now run a couple of little games like i'm running a one-on-one with sam where I pretty much don't have to do any prep. I just sit down with him and I'm like, okay, I know the world now. What do you want to do? And I can just run it. Um, and I'm doing the same thing for, for Ray, whose character in Tomb of Annihilation has just kind of gone off on his own for a little bit and he's going to come back to the party later. So he's doing his own thing at a different part of the jungle. And like, yeah. I just have to sit down and like, I'm like, okay, what do you want to do? Off you go. I know it now. So it's a really good place to be. Like, it doesn't matter how you get there. When you get there, it's uh, very freeing. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't tend to run published stuff. Um, I've tried. I find it really restrictive because the way my brain works is I get stuck in trying to run it as it is. Mm. So I just tend to homebrew everything um, and yeah. and just kind of go off and like. There's been many instances. I remember one of the games we had. I built this whole session up. Like the loose plan was this home base that the characters had had been. Um, because it was a pirate campaign, still is. 
um, this port town got invaded and they've been playing in it for like, you know, 10 sessions and they knew NPCs and they had, a, they had an inn that they went to and a favourite drink in the inn and I thought, right, let's threaten that. So I had an army invade it. They turned up and went, nah, seems like it's going to be too much work. Turned around and left. <laughs> That's, that's such a that's such an adventurer thing to say. So like, oh, we're not getting paid enough for this. Yeah, we'll just leave it. Well, yeah, but I was like, oh, surely they've built a connection to this. I've been like building up to this and hinting at like, oh, there's been forces amassing, and you found a letter that you know dictates that the supplies have been moved in, and like, there's been military movements, and then no, they were just like, well, it's on fire. I think I think it's probably done for. Let's just go. <laughs> Oh no, that yeah, no, that's we'll rebuild it later, it's fine. Uh it's interesting though, because I've always said I think everybody should run or at least read a published adventure to like get an understanding of how yeah, yeah. like what's he consider an adventure should be written and run. Hmm. Um and I and there, there is that thing of like, do you like it or do you not like how restrictive it is? And I kind of fall into that school of people, and I think I've said this before as well, where I like not, I don't think of them as restrictions, but I like to have something that's like, okay, this is the thing, and this is that, and this is that. Um, okay. But then I like to play around with it. So I got, I get what you say about like feeling like you have to run it the way it's written, and I was like that for a long time, and then I got to the point where I went, actually, it doesn't matter, it doesn't really matter. Like something clicked in my brain, and now I'm like, oh, I'm going to change that. Oh, I'm going to move this, and I'm going to do that. And there are some things I'll move, and some things I won't. Um, and that has made modules so much more inviting to me. Because even though I put all the work in to rewrite them and basically make them my own, having that starting point is really fresh. And it's nice to be in a setting where I know an adventure is going to come out and I can go, oh, I like that. I'm going to run that. And it will make some sort of sense in the world I already have without redoing it. Having said that, I have a homebrew world. I like Spelljammer. You know, I want to play some third party adventures that don't belong in Faerun. So. We will be leaving probably after this campaign, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you should say that because I, um, I've started to I like reading um, mm. published stuff. Like I like I like reading through like adventurers league adventures and things. And um, I found that episodes. Um, I can't remember. I'm really I can't remember the person's name. I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> he did it with um, with them. Um, the author of um, is it Fate of the Nightcrawlers or Nightworms, um, oh, who's won the DM challenge, and and I really found that oh, episode yes. really fantastic. Um, yeah. And I love their advice that you know take a take a published adventure, deconstruct it, and see if you enjoy doing it because it's essentially a manual with a story laced over the top. Mm. And um, I really enjoy seeing how other people do that and. I yeah. like to use that as inspiration for my own, but um, I think I was had a bad experience the first time I tried to run Lost Minds because mm. all of us were new and I didn't read through the whole thing because I was like, oh, well, we'll do this and then they'll do this. And then they skipped like three chapters and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> but that's the thing, though. I feel like even my first experiences with D&D were like, oh, my God, awful. Like, And I look back at... Um... I ran Curse of Strahd was one of the one of the first Ooh. like published modules that I ran. And it's mm. such a good game and I'm so incredibly proud of that story. And there's part like there's moments that happen in that that I'll always remember. And then I look back at that now and I'm like, hmm, 
if I rerun that now, it would be 20 times better. And I'm so like, it's something I definitely want to do at some point is run that module yep. again, even for the same players. Like it would mm. be a lot of fun. And I, and I, I have a different process now because I pretty much followed that to the T and then added a, like a sprinkled on. Whereas now I'm like, well, I've got Van Richten's guide as well. I could just completely rewrite stuff and add stuff in and, yeah, oh, be insane. it would be absolutely mental i take a level one to ten and i make it a one to twenty and then my players go yeah but when are we going to finish that ben and i'm like watch us let's go we'll play this game we've been playing this story for five years we can keep going a bit longer um but yeah we should we should dive into the the nitty-gritty of this topic because otherwise we're going to just talk about yeah yeah of course cool, so. Yeah. so let's let's talk about descriptions and how to do it good do it better do it right I am gonna put on the put on the wall for everyone to know before we go into this that uh, I never thought I would be good at describing things because one I'm dyslexic as hell, um, t- I can barely spell, and uh, my vocab is not the best. Um, one of the best things about uh, some of my friends, Joe in particular, who uh, long-time listeners will know, is that his vocabulary was mental. When we were recording episodes every week, I'd learn new words every week. It was, it was great. So having said that, I feel like I'm, I've got the knack to describing things now in my own way. So I think I've got some advice to give, but I'm really interested to hear what your process is and uh, what are the things you kind of try to hit on the head and the nails that you do. Um, and I have set you a little task as well. So yes. that's going to be very exciting. So first of all, um, I, I, I don't know if this is a trick question or not, Alex. You'll have to let me know. Okay. What is like, how, do, it's a big question. How do you describe something? Okay. So the, my personal process is I think about what details grab me. Mm-hmm. So when, you, for example, when you think of a scene, or when you think of anything, what's the first thing you think of? And then that becomes kind of the center point that you then build from. So it might be, for example, if you think of the seaside, do you think of the waves? Do you think of um, the, the sound of seagulls? You know, do you feel, think of a brisk wind, you know, like coming off the sea and how that feels? And it's about what engages engages the senses. That's really important because that's how we perceive the world. So a key thing for description is engaging senses um, and thinking how how do people relate to things? You know, like what what is it that people find most striking? I'm so glad you brought up the senses straight away because that is the f- like it's like the first thing I go for now. Um, I can't remember who said it to me or when it was a while ago now, but someone said to me like, "Oh, just just if you don't know what to say, think about go through like list through the senses." And it's taken my uh, like my scene setting, I suppose. I don't you don't know, don't do it all the time, but when I'm trying to really set a scene and ground the players in their minds and what they can see and things that's where i go to so you know it's you know what can you see what can you smell what can you touch what can you taste what can you hear and now my descriptions of places have gone from oh you're in a you're in a bustling city and you could you know and the 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 
sun is shining down on you and there's a shadow cast from the building next to you to you know you walk out onto this onto the hard cobblestone beneath your feet you hear the carts rolling in the in the nearby market square you can smell the fish cooking on a nearby like merchant stall something like that um and even with even with Cholt, like describing the sound of the sing-songy clicking and whistling of the Cholton language and things like that, it's um, it takes taken my descriptions from you're in a town, you're on the street, it's a hot day, to just this paragraph of here's everything that's going on around you, which I think, I mean you'd have to ask my players, but I think really grounds the the mind's eye, but but not just the mind's eye, like. If you if you do it well enough, if you describe a smell that we as humans would smell in, in normal day, oh, I'm okay. You can smell dinosaur poo. Like maybe they'll think of manure on a field in the in a you know yeah. out in the countryside. They start to like your brain starts to smell it, um, and if you can do that, you're winning. So that's that is a really um, great lead into my next point. Um, so we there's an article on the on the scribe that I read. So many times when I was uh, before I submitted my application, um, because I contacted Describe um, after hearing about them through a sponsor. Um, after reading the stuff, I thought they were great, um, and I contacted uh, the founder David, and they set me a, um, a task of writing five scenes. I could choose the scenes, so I wrote some stuff. But they had a uh, an article called Thinking. Inside the box, I believe it's called, mm. and uh, I think it's Matt Cernan who wrote it. Um, and it talks about how you know what are the great elements of good box text, and like one of the key things that I thought was fantastic was you leave details out. Now that sounds really counterintuitive, but I'll give you an example. If I if I uh, say to you, okay, you're walking through. Um, Waterdeep, for example, and you see a young elven woman uh, is selling fruit from a market store. Mm. I haven't told you what she looks like. I haven't told you what fruit she's selling. I haven't told you what the market store looks like, but your brain has filled all those gaps in. Yeah. And you're you're picturing. And that was a really important um a really important thing is to create an impression, almost like an outline of key details and then you let you you let the readers or your players imagination fill in the gaps yeah that's a really interesting point because i feel like there's anyone who i've ever spoken to has said like oh, i'm i i can't describe things like how how can i be better at describing things they're always focused on oh, i need to give detail i need to tell them exactly what they can see and really really paint a, a sharp image um and that puts the pressure on to like find the right words and to describe the right things and to pick the key elements. Whereas I actually find that the times that I really need to do that or want to do that is when I'm describing a set piece. I mean, I've talked about set pieces before, those those big key moments that I know no matter what are going to happen in the game. They're kind of like fixed moments in the campaign that, that will definitely happen uh, regardless of player actions. Not not we're talking about railroading, they're just specific things that are always going to happen in stories um the hooks as it were and like one of those um and actually this is kind of how my brain worked when i was preparing cosmic causeway uh, our spelljammer miniseries one of the first things that i thought of 
was, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if I took a, a group of uh, adventurers who had never been into wild space before and the scene is them standing on an asteroid watching two ships in the sky fighting. And so I sat with that and I was like, okay, how would I describe that? Like, imagine these players have been in space for like a week. Like, they haven't been there for that long. What are the things? And I was like really going through the details and like and filling in every piece of information in my head. And I was like, okay, great. So I've got this amazing scene. But that works, right? That's a big set piece. That's a, I want to describe the, the, the ship pitching and, and, and moving around in this weird third dimensional space and the cannons firing and the smoke coming off and all these little details. But the first time they get on a ship, I'm not going to do all that. I'm just going to describe, okay, you walk out onto the deck, you can hear the wood creaking and you can see the sky of stars above you and there are people milling about. And like, that's kind of enough for them to go, okay, I'm on a ship. I know what a ship looks like. I know what the crew of a ship looks like. I know what the night sky looks like amongst the sails. That's enough. And they kind of fill the rest in. So yeah, that's a, that's a great tip. Chill out. Describe less. Yeah, I mean, the key thing is, is think of it like a constellation in that when, you know, you see your constellation it's abstract, you know, and people fill in, you join the key bits together and then it creates a picture. Yeah. That's, that's a really good analogy. Thank you. I, I really like that. That's, that's great. That's a good one. And I, I, I love this as well because I always feel like with, with everything, not just describing, but with every kind of thing we talk about on the show, when we're, whether we're talking about mechanics or we're talking about like, how do I do a certain thing in the game or whatever, it always tends to be, uh, <laughs> this is showing my um my radio passion because this is a a uh, tagline or a or a phrase that um is used in the industry by a certain brand and it's uh, keep it simple stupid right keep keep it simple scale back and it will do the job for you you don't need to work that hard you don't need to reinvent the wheel you just need to add a spoke um yeah I like that a lot well there was a piece there that you described which again leads me on to another one of my points you mentioned Fantastic. the pitching of the pitching of the ship so movement is really important in description any dynamic elements so um something that you'll often find in good description is there'll be moving water there'll be a breeze there'll be you know some elements of of dynamic motion because it brings the scene to life. You know, the character isn't just, you know, you're not just describing the character as if they're sort of stood there in pose, for example. You know, what are they doing? You know, are they, are they walking? And, and if so, how do they walk? You know, do they walk with a confident swagger? Are they hunched over? You know, you can tell it's so important um, for that, that dynamic movement because it adds that that third dimension like we're saying to the scene mm. so you were talking about um the ships blasting at each other well I, I was picturing like splinters of the water the broadsides like hit each other pirouetting off in zero g and like kind of hanging there yeah um, and the you know like the the solar sails kind of billowing in in like you know the the, the winds the solar winds and it's just like you know, these are the things I'm talking about. Like, you didn't say any of that, but your brain fills it in. Yeah. 
Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I love it. And this is the the thing I love about D&D, and and this is why I always, um, I I guess I preach for theatre of the mind, because I, I, there's something about the fact that five of us can be sat around the table and I will describe something and every single person will see it in a slightly different way and they'll, they'll like their style will be different. And that's something I want to talk to you about actually is style as well. But um, the, and, and people always say to me like, Oh, but theater of the mind, like how can you track movement in combat? And wow. you know, you know, what about like, like I like to have dynamic elements on my maps and I'm like, yeah, but it's, you just have to be a bit looser with it because yeah. I find with theater of the mind, if I let, okay, let's pick a, a setting. So like, let's say they're fighting in a forest, right? Oh, fight, I, on the sh- fight on the deck of the ship. Let's see. Okay, let's cool. create- deck, yeah, let's keep yeah, let's keep with the ship. So we're fighting on the deck of the ship, right? I've yeah. got a map out. Right. They can see the deck. They can see the, ma- the like maybe three masts and the, the mm. aft and fore castles and that's it. And they know those are higher than the rest of the deck and that's it. Mm. Um, on the map, they're going to be like, oh, okay, I'm going to run. I'm going to move and I'm going to hide behind this mast here because I can see it on the map and I'm going to pop around and mm. shoot my crossbow. Theatre of the mind, it's going to be like, oh, can I, is there anything around that I can like, climb up or jump off of and i'm like yeah you're on a ship there's loads of rigging like up yep. go up the ropes can i cut the ropes and make the sail drop yeah of course you can oh, is there a uh, barrel that i can like pick up and use the catapult spell on yeah you're on a merchant ship of course there is and okay fine i don't know that you're exactly 30 feet away from target but if you say to me so ben wh- whereabouts is the uh the asteroid spider that i'm trying to trying to kill oh okay so he's he's about 30 feet away what what do you want to do oh i'd like to I'd like to run, um, hide behind the mast, and then cast catapult on like a, a box or something and throw it at him. Like, mm, yeah, that sounds cool. Sure, fine. You're close enough to do all of that. And instantly you've got a more dynamic moment, which yep. then leads into your player saying, okay, so I'm going to do this, do this, do this. And then I, as the DM, get to jump in and go, cool, here's what it looks like, and paint that picture with words. And that is, that I think is fear to remind uh, just at its, at its peak. Oh, I completely agree. I'm a big, big advocate for first of the mind. Um, I'm from a wargaming background. I've, I've done stuff like Warhammer for many, many years. Mm. Um, and I, I find that I enjoy tactical combat. Um, it is not conducive to um, following description because as soon as you, you start doing that, it, it becomes far less epic in like, you know, suddenly you're not on the ship and like, sliding behind boxes for cover or something you're like mm. i'm gonna move this many squares to here and yeah. then it's like how how far away are they and i'm like you say you're like oh well you can't quite reach and it's like how rubbish is that like oh well if you're just another square forward whereas like oh you want what do you want to do oh i want to grab a, a, a one of the ropes on the main mast flash it and then swing out over over wild space and look like onto the other side of the ship and like how much more you know how much more epic is that rather than just moving on squares yeah and you 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 feed into that that uh hero fantasy that players have then as well Mm -hmm. um you can't swashbuckle on a grid well not effectively anyway that there you go that's the quote of this of of this recording session you can't swashbuckle on a grid um (laughs) one of my um i like i think this isn't to say i don't use maps either like sometimes if I know the combat's going to have lots of moving pieces, I'll do a map for players. But even yeah. then, I make sure that, one, the map's really pretty and gorgeous. It's not just, like, a white tabletop and, gr- like, grids or whatever. 
Um, and two, I say to the guys, here's your map. This is a layout. We're not using it for the spacing. So even then I'll be like, yeah, you're kind of close enough. You could move to about there. Um, yeah. And also just because it's not on the map doesn't mean it's not there. If there's something you want to do, ask me because that's how we play. Um, exactly. Yeah. So going back to style really quickly, mm-hmm. when I think about, uh, I said it earlier, like people imagining things in different ways. I kind of like one player I might have might see everything in like a cartoony style. I know I personally, when I'm picturing things, I see it in um, a realistic kind of like everyone looks like a real person, and but it's very cinematic. And so there's like maybe there's letterboxes and that like I can see the like the the heroic kind of camera angles as they run through and describe the slicing swords and things and that's how i've got a very cinematic brain um so that's how i see things when you're writing descriptions do you try to feed a certain style into your players minds or are you just like here's what i'm describing and in my brain it looks this way how does it look to you so that's a a good point i um i never thought of, of like just thinking of things and it's like anything other than realism. Like I, I often, I, I do that. Um, I, I vary the tone and style depending on what the scene uh, demands. So yeah. like with Describe, for example, I can get so many different things. I can get like anything from a demon lord to a cup breakfast at an inn. So I've got to, you know, I've got to be flexible. I've got to be able to, to change the tone. Um, and that's actually something else I want to talk to you about. The same scene can be so different depending on how you describe it. The scene itself is the same, mm-hmm. but the words you use, the elements you highlight, it can completely change it. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, I mean, going back to Cosmic Causeway, I remember that that was a very, um, we, we got the character art made and uh, after we'd done all of the recording and I remember all of us, the group sitting down together and going, oh my God, this is the perfect art style. And it, because in our brains, we'd kind of been playing this game and it, it was coming across a little bit cartoony in our minds. And so when I was, and, and that's not normal for me, normally I'm very realistic. Um, and like, there are other, other, like the jungles of Chol, I, I see very realistically, but there's kind of that like, uh, Indiana Jones kind of filmy vibe going on in my brain. And like, so it kind of changes. Uh, the Curse of Stride is obviously like Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, it's it's all black and white. It's there's no color. Maybe there's a oh, little, that's like, interesting. Yeah. So in my brain, the only color in in when I ran Curse of Stride, in my images were in the um, when blood came out. It was red. That was the only red you'd see. And the Vistani. Oh. When I when I in my brain, I always imagined them as having color. Um, even if it's like you talk about the amber temple, and I'm like, yeah, it's black and white and, and grayscale, and um, that's the kind of vibe that 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 campaign gave me and so that's how i saw it uh but i never described it that way to anyone i was yeah. like oh, you can see this and you can see that and um yeah i just i love i don't know i get really geeky and into the fact that like people see things differently in their minds and and like that theory that you and i could look at a, a piece of paper and i could go that paper's blue and that paper's red and you could go yeah i agree that paper's blue and that paper's red but the way we see blue and red could be very different. Your red could be my green. You know, got that way lies madness. But yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. I don't know. I could, I could talk about that kind of stuff for for hours. So you mentioned tone, mm-hmm. and uh, and also writing for what the scene demands. I suppose. 
how do you uh, differentiate your tone? Because I feel like it's something, I feel like describing stuff is something I've kind of developed on my own. I've kind of found my own style of it. And I know how to find, like, I know if I want to be creepy, I'll, I'll describe certain things. If I want to be gothic horror, I'll describe things. If I want to be bright and sunshiny, I'll describe certain things. So what are your tips for someone who's just getting into it to like hone into different tone styles? Well, think of what you associate with those things. So for me, um, I, I always associate warm, you know, like when you come in after a, like a out of a winter's day and you get a warm drink or something like with comfort. So if it's a comforting scene, like going back to my example of the breakfast in an inn, you add elements of warmth. You describe the crackling heart. You describe the, the steaming teapot. You know, you describe um, laughter, say, from the other patrons, you know, um, ringing around the well-worn timbers of the roadside inn. You know, you, you create that, that atmosphere. Whereas for perhaps a more, a more dark scene or a scene where you want to invoke more fear, you would pick up on other things. So you maybe for me, for the example, I would go with feelings of numbness, cold, um, isolation. Um, you know, a direct assert that 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 tingle that goes up your spine when you know something's wrong but you're not quite sure what. You know, tap into that primal element. And that's kind of what you bring it back to because it's it's about ev- evocative description. It's about eliciting a response so you you focus on the elements that bring that to the fore mm. yeah yeah i i totally get that um i it reminds me have you ever seen uh the film the what is it is it the day after tomorrow where it's like there's a big it's basically a global warming film it came out years ago yes um, yeah so the yeah with the statue of liberty that's frozen yeah yeah that's the one I remember the first time I saw that film it was uh, in the middle of summer. And so like we'd closed all the curtains, we put the film on, we watched it. And it's like, I don't know, it's like a two hour film. It's quite a long film for its, for its time. It's quite, that's quite an average film time now. But um, we watched it and at the end I was like, oh, okay, cool, right, okay, I'm going to open the curtains. And I opened the curtains and was shocked that it was like warm and hot and sunny because I'd been watching this film where it was a blizzard and cold and I was like ah and at that moment I remember very vividly thinking oh my god watching this film has made me feel as if I'm in a cold environment and that's kind of what you're going for when you're describing those things right so I, if you're playing Rhyme of the Frost Maiden right and it's in Icewind Dale and you're talking about the fact that there's snow everywhere and it's cold and it's an eternal winter and it's dark all the time you want to go for those and you want to elicit those feelings that you get in the winter. So think about like, okay, well, in the winter, what do I do? I wear a big, big fluffy coat. And, you know, when I'm walking down the street, I pull it nice and tight and I, I put my scarf on around my neck and tuck it in and things like that. And I find stuff like that helps me to go, guys, guys it's cold. And they, they go, oh, it's cold. And then they feel it and think it. So that's an interesting, interesting point. So for, if I was to do, because I've done a few scenes like that, um, hmm. If I was to do that, like, the warmth is the comfort. So, so for example, if I was, if you were to describe, you know, wrapping that, that like, heavy woolen cloak around you as the snow settles on your shoulders, 
for me, if I was describing that scene, you would have to have some form of respite. So perhaps a ring of warmth. One of my colleagues, Megan, um, just wrote a fantastic scene. Um, I think it's Megan's scene. I'm sorry if it's someone else's. Um, about a, someone putting on a ring of warmth and the description of it, and it was oh, it was so cozy. It was really nice. But then, like the other thing, if you like, for example, with Brian of the Frostmaiden, or just any sort of like cold scene i like numbness because cold is is one thing but if you if you say you know your fingers are painfully numb suddenly everyone feels that everyone knows what that's like you know that's that's making snowballs without gloves that's you know that horrible pouring when you come inside and it it taps into that sense memory and that's mm-hmm. really important um for, for yeah. the description yeah, about finding that thing that everyone's experienced, or that smell that everyone knows, or that that touch that they'll know, and and take it. Or the sound, like a, a, a sound, for example, like if you were if you're old enough, you'll know what the dial tone sound is, and like hearing, oh. yeah, yeah. Right. So that that reaction you've just had is like, oh my god, yeah, the dial tone, that weird robotic like whining and beeping. Psychic damage sounds. <laughs> Oh my god, yes. I've never thought of that. That's 100% is what psychic damage sounds like. But it's like, you say that to someone who was born in 2001 and they have no idea what we're talking about. Um, and, and another weird example of that is like if you go to a teenager nowadays and you go, oh, can you mind taking a photo? Like we're on a video call recording this and I've just done it. I've just held my hands up as if I'm holding a camera and I clicked my, my, my index finger like I'm pressing the shutter on a camera teenager will hold their hand as if they're holding an iphone and press the screen like it's so that's so weird to me that that's a like such a different uh and that that sense memory right that's their memory of remembering how to take a photo on their phone that's so different from us just because of our experiences in life and things so finding that common ground in your descriptions and it sounds like we're going really deep into this at this point but it's it's one of those things that sounds really hard to do but it's quite simple and and the more you do it the more natural it comes um, finding that thing that links everyone together, that commonality is going to really help with, with describing stuff for a party. So I, w- I would say don't put, don't, you know, embrace your own style. Mm. You know, I think of numb fingers when I'm caught because I find that horribly unpleasant. Whereas for you, it might be something different. Embrace whatever it is that you feel and because that's what will bring it to life. If you try and, and, and say, for example, describe something with things that aren't a strong connection for you it's going to come across yeah for me it would be when you're out in the cold and you you have layers on but you don't have quite enough or quite the right layers so they're wet and soggy and yeah and so then you then you can't get warm no matter what you do that's like the complete opposite of the nice thick cloak like i love when it's chucking it down with rain if i can go out for a walk in the rain and i've got the right clothes on and i can i just can't feel it just doesn't touch me that's amazing if i'm wearing the wrong clothes and i get wet and soggy that's like it's the worst thing in the world and i get freezing cold so yeah find find a style i like that and just play with it experiment with it embrace your own yeah embrace your own find your own one and you know and trust that it'll do the job because you being you feeling it will come across one of the best tips that was ever given on this uh, on, on these shows, and I cannot remember for the life of me, we're nearly at 200 of these things, guys. I cannot from the life of me remember who gave it, but I've given it out many times since and claimed it as my own, as you should. 
uh, is if you're, I actually think it, it was a um, DM challenge winner, but if you um, aren't very good at writing things, like if you're not great at writing a scene, uh, particularly writing, go somewhere like a coffee shop, sit down with a notebook and just start describing and writing out what you can see around you and describing what you can see around you rather than trying to describe an imagination of somewhere because you're you're physically looking for things and using your senses which i feel like is such a great tip if you're not good at putting pen to paper um because you don't need to pretend what and imagine what you can see and feel and touch you've got it there in front of you and so it just takes that step out and then you can move on to that step uh, once you're comfortable with writing uh, so absolutely go and do that Oh my god, go and do that. And as well, that's a really good way to pick up on what you your attention's drawn to. Mm, yes, I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, what do you see first? Or what mm. do you what do you describe first? The smell, the taste, what? Um Yeah, one hundred percent. Um and I thought of something as I was saying that that I wanted to add on and I've already forgotten it. That's always the way. I hate when that happens. <laughs> really annoys me when that happens. It must, because yeah, I'm always like, oh, was it something good or was it was it a useless thing I was going to say, and that's why I've forgotten it. Uh, oh, that's it. My so for me, um, I I don't write descriptions like first. The way they come to me is by just talking and just saying it. So like if I'm on my own, um, so the other day I went for a walk in the morning, nice like morning walk with a coffee, and I knew I had a session coming up that day, and I was like, okay, I need to. I've got this important scene that's going to happen. How am I going to describe it? And so I just kind of like described it a few times out loud and just said the words and, and described it as if I was doing it in game, uh, got a really good image in my head, found the words I wanted to use and then started playing with it a little bit, just saying it out loud. And once I'm comfortable with what it is and I've said it and like I say, this is where uh, outside of D&D inspires inside of D&D because I'm, I'm a presenter, I talk, that's what I do. So talking for me is easier doing that and then getting it right and going and writing it down. That's my process, which is so different from, I would assume yours, Alex, as a writer. So I, um, I'm a really big fan of writing sprints, uh, which is essentially the practice of just setting a timer, maybe 15 minutes, write as much as you can. Don't edit yourself. Um, and then revisit that later. Mm. And, I find that that stream of consciousness like, is really helpful for just getting stuff down, you know, and then thinking, right, okay, well, there's some good bones here, but, mm. but like, maybe that doesn't work, or maybe that, you know, think about what elements are really coming out for you. And I think about stuff on walks all the time. I, listen, I was saying to you beforehand, I listen to uh, We Speak Common. I go for a walk every day with my son, um, and I listen to, to We Speak Common, and I often just think about my game. Um, or like D&D in general or, or anything and I find that just thinking about things can be really really helpful um, if mm-hmm. I'm stuck on a scene for example you know maybe I'll come back to it later um, but I totally get what you mean like you know it's just about getting that con- that stream of consciousness at, like out so you then kind of have something to, to mould rather than starting from a blank space yeah 100% 100%. Um, it's at this point that we should probably mention some wonderful people. Uh, oh. who, who I was going to try and find a way to sneak in. It doesn't always work, so we're just going to go straight in. Um, I don't know if you know this, Alex, but this show is brought to you by two wonderful, wonderful partners. Uh, the first of which being 
at the Dice Dungeon who have been supporting the show for well, it feels like nigh on infinity now. It's it's been a while. We're both we've both aged. Um, myself, Ben, and Dave. We've all we've all grown old and and fragile in our years. Um, but they are uh, wonderful guys who are based here in the UK, and so it's great to uh, to work with other UK people in the t- uh, tabletop and D and D scene in general. Uh, if you're looking for premium D and D dice, we're talking metal, resin, glass. Uh, for uh, a number of different price ranges, then they are the people to go to. There'll be a link in the description below. You can go and check out their wonderful collection. But they don't just do dice. And they may have started there, but of course they do all the other bits and bobs too, like dice rolling trays, like uh, the Bag of Fates that allow you to get a random set of dice for a uh, cheaper price. Uh, And there are exclusive dices in those bag Dices? Dice eye? Dice sets? In those bags. Um, They do the D&D books that you need to run the game. And now... Came out uh, last week, so it's been live for a week now. Um, I've, I knew about this for a long time. I wasn't allowed to say anything, and I was very excited about it because I actually have one of these. And I helped name it, so it's a claim to fame. It's the a D&D Travel Bag of Hoarding. Uh, you can go and check this out. Basically, it's a big old uh, bag that has sections for your books, for your dice, for your pens and pencils, for your minis. It has a space for you to roll up a map if you use one and, and attach on there. If you're on the go DMing like I used to be, um, it is, or if you're moving, oh my God, it's so good for moving books. If you're moving flat and things that have been there many times, it's uh, it's a great little kit. Um, if you are a traveling DM or you don't host and you go to someone else's house, check this bag out. And of course, you can use the code WESPEAKCOMMON to get 10% off your order and everything in your basket will be discounted. So the more you spend, the more you save. And of course, you're helping support the network. We're also brought to you in partnership with I, I don't know if, I don't know if you've heard of them, Alex. Little 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 company called Described. Have you ever heard of them before? They're quite 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 unheard of, I think. Yeah, the name kind of rings a bell. Yeah, yeah, it's spelled D S C R Y B. Uh, you put a dot com on the end. That's the website. And you head over there if you want people like Alex to do all the hard work for you. So if you're listening to this episode and you're thinking, oh, I, don't, I don't know if. I don't know if describing things is for me. These guys have you covered. Uh, professional, creative writers doing all of the hard work, creating box text that is just like the stuff from adventures that you know and love, but there for you to use in your home brew games. And not only is it stuff for the DM to use, like the stuff we're talking about today, like describing scenes and locations and monsters and magic items, but there's player-centric stuff too. So if you're playing a wizard and you want to describe your fireball going off and decimating a goblin village, you maniac. They've got it for you. If you're a cleric and you want to describe that that amazing healing word, they've got it for you. Uh, there's just over 500 scenes, I believe, available for you to look at for free. Just go and have a look. Just have a wonder. Have a little uh, try before you buy. But if you want access to over 7,000 of these things and growing, then subscribing is the way to go. You can get yourself 10% off your monthly subscription using the code COMMON at checkout. And that will continue for two years. Two years, 10% off every single month. And of course, you're supporting the show. Uh, Alex, trick question, because uh, I know you've written a lot of these things. What is your favourite ever scene that you have described for Describe? What should people go and look at right now when they click on the link in the description below? Oh my, one that I've written. One that you've written. Can you think of one off the top of your head? Oh, um... Well, the one that jumps immediately to mind is what I did... Um, recently mm-hmm. so we get a lot of character requests uh, that's one of our most popular features um our subscribers can request um characters which is a bit like 
I always describe it as kind of like a character portrait, but in words. Amazing. And um, it's very, very popular. One of my favourite ones I've done for for that was a um, a polished steel warforged uh, who had banded tiger wood. Uh, in place of muscles and a shield that popped out of his arm. Um, if you want to search for that one, I think, I I'm afraid, I think that's a premium scene. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's a character called Ilfgol, I L F G O L. Um, another one that I did that I really loved was Tarek the Black. Uh, that's another character I've done that's a reborn fighter who, Amazing. Um, he, who has a few, like bleeds, um, like heart, essentially. Uh, and it, it is like several hundred years old, and I just really enjoyed it. Sometimes something just meshes, and you just, you know, you just think, "Wow, oh, this is really cool." So that um, is cool. That's really cool. I'm gonna, have to, uh, I'm gonna have to submit my my beautiful boys all in calf. I'm gonna it's gonna have to be done at some point. Well, I mean, it's something we've just announced uh, fairly recently. We um, describers now started working with uh, incredibly talented illustrators. So if you do want to um, submit a, a a character request, which is included in your subscription, um, you do have the option to um, purchase a custom illustration in a variety of styles. Um, there are some examples, I think, on the site, mm. uh, and they are mind-blowingly good. <laughs> incredible i love it i character art is something that i'm i i just fall in love with especially when you find a style that's so perfect for the, for the image like like we talked about the way everyone sees things slightly differently um, yeah and yeah. so whenever you find an artist you're like okay can do you see this character that i'm describing to you the way i that i see it and and if yeah. you do then i want the art um yeah that's really cool that's a really cool feature okay i want to dive into the uh this the, the task that i set you we've talked about describing things how we would do it the kind of little tips and tricks that we've got uh and so i want to try and dissect your work now i'm gonna like, be like a a teacher i'm gonna i'm gonna mark you um i asked oh, you to describe, <laughs> yeah yeah i'll get my red pen out um i, I asked you to describe a scene for me and then mm -hmm. we've done a bonus one as well um, yes uh, and you said oh do you want to do you want to hear do you want to read it before we go on air and i was like nope Oh, I want a surprise. So, uh -huh. please, would you? Uh, and ha when did you write this? Like yesterday, day before? I wrote this about an hour ago. Oh, even better. So it's like fresh off your brain. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So, would you please tell us the scene? Um, go first one, and uh, then read it for me, please. Yeah. So, um, this is uh, a lake uh, with a waterfall and a hidden cave. Mm. as requested yeah the roar of the falls is deafening in the remote lakeside cove and as you approach the slick black pebbles of the shoreline become treacherous underfoot testing your balance and your tenacity the oppressive humidity of the day's bike fades from mm. memory as you step beneath the refreshing cascade the weight of your aching muscles eases and for a moment you're at peace Opening your eyes, you realise that beyond the torrent lies a hidden cavern and an ancient door. Oh, that's very nice. I okay. like that. I like that a lot. So just, just I, might, I might get you to reread lines for me, but immediately we've Go got sound, we've uh -huh. got sight, we've got uh -huh. uh, the feeling of the stones underneath the feet. Uh -huh. um, 
something you did there that I don't think we've talked about yet is uh, talking about um, how it tests the player and like re-rooting them in the scene. So you talked about the tenacity and what, what was the word you used? Right. So, um, so they become treacherous underfoot, testing your balance and your tenacity. Okay, so that's something we haven't talked about. You've you've put the the player in the scene there. They're not just witnessing it, they're part of it. So because as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, I can imagine myself almost slipping now on these rocks, which yep. everything we've said so far, I'm like, oh, I'm imagining me looking at this thing and seeing it, but you've gone and, and put me in it. So that's uh, that's really nice. What, have you got any advice on on how you how you do that more effectively? Yeah, so um, so because of what, uh, what we do with box text, it's a really interesting, it's more, it's definitely more art than science because you've got to root the player in the scene, but also it really grounds them. So like you said, and that was exactly what I was going for. Mm. You, you feel it slipping underfoot. We've all slipped on something, whether it's pebbles, mud, etc. You know, suddenly you've both got the dynamic movement you've got the involvement, you've got that inertia that you feel when you do slip on something. You know, all of that comes to mind. Um, mm. And rooting, rooting the player in the scene or the, the, the observer in the scene, think about what elements they can interact with. Maybe if you're walking in a dungeon, you walk into a, co- a cobweb and it goes in your face. Yes. Um, you know, if you're walking in a swamp, perhaps you slip and you go ankle deep in some fetid water that then gets in your boots. Mm. You know, you think it's thinking about these interactive elements, like what, what, what is it that you can do to ground that in that person's lived experience mm. or yeah. the reader's lived experience, should I say? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, even as you say those things, I'm like, Oh God. Yeah. That's great. Oh, I hate when that happens. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's... And that's the key. It's got to be a lived experience. Like I can, you know, I mean, I would hope you've never had the feeling of being horrifically injured by some sort of, you know, titanic beast. Mm. That can be fine, but it's hard. It's it's more detached. Whereas if I talk about, you know, pricking your thumb on on a particular like um, a blackberry bush, mm. suddenly, you know, anyone who's ever like had a sort of pinprick, you know unexpectedly suddenly they can feel that they're in there they're in the scene yeah well that's the thing because like we're talking about very grounded experience but like let's go back to the spell jam example right i've never i've never floated in zero g i've um the closest i've come is i've done an air tunnel right where you like indoor skydiving but even that is very different and so it's like okay how do i how do i describe to my players what it feels like to float in in no gravity and i think like i i I mean, I could be talking up my ass now because I can't, I can't remember exactly. It was a long time ago. But if you go and listen to Cosmic, there are moments when it happens. And like for, uh, there's, a, there's a moment in Cosmic Causeway where Sam's character leaps to the side of the ship in, in wild space and the ships have their gravity plane and you kind of bob between them. And so I was like, okay, well, how do I describe that feeling of floating up and down next to the ship? And what I went for was, okay, you, you leap off the ship thinking you're going to float and you fall and you get that that pit in your stomach feeling as your body falls, leaving your stomach behind. Everybody knows that. Everybody's had that at some point. And you, you fall and fall and fall and fall and you think, I've, I've, I'm going, I'm gone, <laughs> I've made a mistake. And then you get to the edge of the ring 
and you begin to fall upwards and you feel that pit of your stomach feeling again but now suddenly you're falling in a different direction um and you're all turned around uh and so i went for that that very weird experience that we've all had of like oh i've i've jumped off of a a, a large structure in a video game and i felt my belly go or or i've been on a roller coaster and my stomach's been left behind me at the top of the the drop um because that's something that people know and i think the other one was uh I, I think I went for trying to describe it as if like when you're underwater. Yes, I, like, that's oh, why I would go to straight away is the sort of analogy for what for zero G or like, like buoyancy of like, yeah, you know, when you're underwater and you can kind of feel yourself floating around, it's, it's a bit like that, but, but with, but, but easier, there's no friction, it's looser. And it's like trying to find yeah. those weird little lineups um, you're gonna yeah you've got to have a point to anchor it in exp in like sort of lived experience and then you can kind of go from there so like you said there it's like being in water but different but you have that, yeah. that that point that anchoring point where you think oh okay well i know what that's like so now i can imagine what that what you know oh okay so it starts with this feeling but then you say it feels less friction so you know, suddenly that that's yeah, that's really good. Yeah, and that's where you you take your you go from describing something you know to um asking your players to imagine something. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, as long as they've got that rooted thing, that imagination becomes a lot easier and more likely a lot more lined up. Like everyone's going to be kind of imagining the same thing. Yes. Whereas without that rooted point, they're probably going to be all over the shop thinking about different things um okay i want to hear your other scene so this was a cheeky request from sam sam is a a a big fan of a certain character in DD, and uh he has talked to me a number of times about how to describe this character he went oh as soon as i said who i had you coming on and what we were going to talk about he's like oh my god get him to describe this and actually i thought you know what that's quite an abstract thing that knowing that I was going to say, hey, you should look for things that like you can see, smell, touch that you know how to describe. I was like, I don't know how I would do that. So would you please describe for me, Alex, Demogorgon? I will. The massive two-headed demon before you is anathema to all that is natural and good. A hideous chimeric patchwork the creature stands on muscular reptilian legs, which blend into a sickening parody of mammalian anatomy above the waist. Slick, barbed tentacles sprout from the creature's forearms, thrashing restlessly as it sniffs the air in search of prey. Sharp yellow eyes dart back and forth as the madness that fuels this primal horror drives it further into apoplectic, rage-induced insanity. <laughs> And I, I know there are some great words in there, some big words in there, um, <laughs> which, which I think we're talking about tone and style, right? They really feed into that. And demons are kind of meant to be a little bit non-comprehensible. And I think the big words and good vocabulary helps with that. But um, I want to stress as well, you don't have these big words, right? Oh. I, I love that you again, and I, this is what I was hoping. You've proved our points right. You've gone for things that we know so we know what reptilian legs look like we we know what eyes look like we can imagine them yellow we we know what a creature looks like when it's sniffing something out and looking and searching and 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I can. I mean, I kind of know what Demogorgon looks like anyway, because I'm an experienced player. But even if I wasn't an experienced player, I feel like I would have a very solid image in my brain of like this hulking, creepy, terrifying monster in front of me. Oh, annoyingly, you've done your job very well, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kind of needed you to do it well, otherwise this whole thing would have fallen apart, wouldn't it? We'd have been like, oh, he's given us tips, but his scenes are rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine oh dear me I mean I've got a couple more points um, do you want me to break it down how I wrote that um, yeah, or... yeah okay. give me um, give me some bullet point takeaway things that people because we're, we're starting to wrap up now so what are the what are yeah. the key bullet points that people can take away and use today right so um, a couple more uh, points that I, I use is um, again it's from this the article thinking inside the box um, there's also a fantastic article by Sean Merwin about um, box text, which I encourage anyone who wants to get better at describing stuff to go and read. Um, use similes. So similes are really important, you know, like this, as this. You know, it gives people, again, that grounding to that, that reference point. Uh, and personify things. So that that's really key to tone. So, you know, if I say um, the wind danced playfully, or the wind, you know, bit angrily. The same thing's happening, but, it, you know, it depends how you personify that. Mm. But with regard to this particular scene, um, the first thing I wanted to stress was how unnatural this is. Mm. So um, I went for, you know, straight away, it's anathema to all that is natural and good. So straight away, you know that this is a creature of evil, this is a twisted thing. Um, a hideous chimeric patchwork so it's made up of a load of different stuff that doesn't fit together and that's when I start using you know the the reference point and going uh, kind of you know from starting from the legs up um, without but again talking about that you know a, a sketching um, sketching an outline so I've said you know Stands on muscular reptilian legs. I haven't said how many, mm. uh, which blend into a sickening parody of mammalian anatomy, which is just a fancy way of saying it. You know, gets all gets more hairy as it goes up. Um, <laughs> but I haven't said what that is. You know, um, slick barred tentacles. What do they look like? You know, mm. um, yeah, and and it's just about creating that that image of like. Okay, so let's pick out some key bits, and then you fill in fill in the rest. Um, yeah, that's... yeah. I like it, and I, and I feel like the other thing as well is like if you've got players who who have never come across Demogorgon before, you could you could describe it a bit more. You could describe the fact that it's got two legs or four arms or two heads or whatever. Um, but I also find that where D and D is is strong and where it works very well is that we've got a lot of really good art for things like this especially like characters that are well known like demogorgon um and what i like to do is and and especially if i'm describing like a new monster that the players haven't come across is i'll describe it how i want to describe it and then i'll go there's an image for you in the hands out chat and then they'll go and look at the handout chat and they'll see it the, and they'll go, oh my God, it's it's even worse than I was imagining. Or, oh my yeah. God, yeah, that's what I was imagining or something like that. And yeah. so you get to have that moment where 
you're describing something and you watch the players kind of like listen and their face contorts as they're trying to picture it and you give them a little bit of information line and line and line at a time and then it twigs and then they see the image and they go oh my god yeah you know that's a lot of fun and that's also very useful if you're maybe you're playing with the same group like i have for a long time and they've come across a lot of these creatures before and you want to still have that suspense you don't want them to immediately go okay so we're fighting a chimera okay so it's a it's a red dragon you can yeah. describe in a new way and introduce a creature using a different as- aspect than you normally would. So maybe it's not sight, it's sound. You hear the roar of the dragon first, but you describe it as like a thunderous, booming uh, shout across the mountains. And they're like, what, yeah. what's that? And then you describe the, the, the drumbeat of the wings uh, and they start to picture a dragon. And then you say, it's a dragon. They go, oh my God, I thought it was a yeah. dragon. Like, yeah, that's, that's what I do. That's a lot of fun. I love I love watching players try and work stuff out. Do the description and then like, and the red dragon lands before you, and they're all like, yeah. oh! Uh, oh no! Yeah, but which, what What age is it? Oh, you'll yeah. have to find out by fighting it. We'll do that <laughs> next week. And then they're like, oh, what a cliffhanger! Like, bits like that. That's, that's why we love uh, painting these images in people's minds. Those reactions. That's why you're doing it, really. Alex, this has been a lot of fun and for me i mean just uh, just great to talk about and i hope i think very useful for people who are struggling with this kind of thing before we go before we close up uh, i'd love to give you a chance to to pitch anything that you're working on now anything that you're doing what have you got going on my friend and where can people find you on the internet oh thank you very much um yeah so i um i am branching out into adventure writing um i've worked for described since september um if you want to see more of my work, um, I work with an incredibly talented team of writers, all of my colleagues, um, both the writers and all the staff at Describe uh, are fantastic. And it's just going from strength to strength. Um, so please, you know, don't just check out my work, check out theirs as well, because we all have different styles. Uh, but you can filter by author. I think there's about 20 scenes that, of mine that you can look at for free, including the sea shanty that I wrote. <laughs> I, I got to say, I love those. I've been looking for more uh, sea shanties and musical notes to put in D&D, so definitely go and check those out. That was really good fun. Um, and um, I've, just wor- I've just worked on um, an adventure for uh, Bob World Builder's patron. So if you, if you want to check that out... Um, if you if you go and check out uh, Bob World Builder on YouTube, um, he'll tell you he's an avid uh, supporter of Describe. He is brilliant. Um, so he write someone writes an adventure. One of the writers hires an adventure in his pool um, for every month for his patrons, and I had the pleasure of writing the one for June. Um, so please go and check that out if you want to. Um, and I'm planning on. Maybe looking into more adventure writing in the future, perhaps for Adventurers League. Um, who knows? You know, but I really appreciate any any interest. Um, and describes great. You know, if you if you're ever stuck, you can think of something. We've probably done it, and if we haven't, you can request it. Mm, exactly. That's the beauty of it. Um, well, Alex, it's been wonderful chatting to you. Thank you for coming on and, and sharing your wisdom. And uh, yeah. No it sounds like the world is your oyster. You've got lots of plans. I'm, I'm excited to see where you go with it. No, thanks. Uh, as, thanks for having me on. Oh, no. It, my, absolutely my pleasure. 100%. Uh, 
Uh, as ever, if you want to get involved with this show, if you want to uh, drop in a message or follow us or talk about things, we are uh, at We Speak Common on Twitter and Instagram. We Speak Common Pod on Facebook, although we're most active on Twitter. Uh, you can send in an email, we speak common at hotmail.com. But the best way to get involved with this show, the other shows, the networking whole, is via our Discord server, which currently you can only get to if you are a member of the Patreon. Uh, there is a link to that in the description below. It's on our social medias too. By supporting the Patreon, best, most direct way to support the shows um, uh, and creating more on this network. Uh, you get access to the server, behind the scenes info. We chat all the time. There's a lovely little little uh, voice chat zone that we sit in with music and talk and actually a few D&D games have spawned out of the, uh, the community. It's growing uh, all the time and it's honestly, I mean, I have to say it because... It's got my name on it, but I mean it. It's my favourite place to hang out on the internet, so check that out. Uh, there are uh, other gifts on there um, for different tiers, like coming and guesting on the show. So if there's something you want to talk about, check it out. Of course, if that's not for you, hey, this is free internet content. That is an optional thing. The other best way to support the show is to share it with a D&D group near you and just say, hey, this is a this is a fun show. Have a listen and uh, grow our, our community a little bit more. Um, and the final thing before before we go next week oh next week is episode 200 of we speak common which is insane and nuts and crazy and i can't believe i'm still going uh in i think officially 208 would make us four years old four years i've been doing this for four years that's, that's nuts um so that means we're celebrating early at 200 because it's a nice big round, uh, round number. And we're doing some very special things. I'm going to be joined by a couple of people next week who you know and love to talk about something very, very fun that everybody can get involved with. Absolutely anybody. It doesn't matter if you're a patron. doesn't matter if you're a Twitter follower, an Instagram follower, whatever. This will, um, this will be something that you can get involved with. And we're very, very excited about it. The patrons know the plan. <laughs> they know everything that's going on. So uh, be here be here next week episode 200 and there will be a very special big giveaway to go with it as well so keep your eyes open um that is it from us today alex again it's been a pleasure thank you very very much for joining me thank you catch you later buddy see you later thanks for listening to the we speak common podcast network If you enjoyed the show, be sure to leave a review on your platform of choice and share us with a friend or D&D group near you. If you'd like to directly support the network and the production of new shows like the one you heard today, head to the description of this episode or our social media pages for a link to our Patreon page. You can connect with the show on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at We Speak Common. The network theme is Street Dancing by Timecrawler82 and is held under a Creative Commons 4.0 license. You can find it on the Free Music Archive.